book of Hebrews chapter number 5. Hebrews chapter number 5. And really, for much of the day after the service this morning, I was very unsure about the service tonight, unsure that I would preach at all. And uh, kind of debated with the Lord about this as He began to touch my heart with this Scripture. And I, it's going to be a little different for me. I'm going to have to turn some in the Scriptures and reference uh, my Bible a little more than I'm accustomed to. And may seem more like a Bible study tonight, but I feel pretty strongly in my heart. Tried to pray and get the will of God, and I feel like this is where... The Lord would have us to be, and I don't know if this will be a one-service thing or if we'll spend some time uh, in some services to come, whatever the Lord wants. Uh, but I do know tonight's going to be very general in, uh, in uh, this study, if you will. Uh, but I feel like this is what the Lord wants me to do, and so if you'll pray for me tonight, that the Lord will help me. I want to be a help and a blessing to you and bring glory and honor to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 5, when you found your place, if you're able and willing to do so, let's stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of God's Word. I want to read the last few verses of this chapter, and then into chapter number 6, just part of the first verse, and then try our best to deal with what the Lord has put on my heart for the service tonight. Hebrews chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 11. The Bible says, Of whom, speaking about Christ, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Chapter 6 and verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Now, I understand and realize tonight that we've uh, preached from the book of Hebrews several times, I think, in the last few services. And so I I don't feel like the book of Hebrews or its context really needs much time spent about it. We understand uh, that the apostle here is writing the Hebrew believers and covering those things that are better in Christ or superior than those things that were under the law. Here in the scripture in chapter number 5 in its context, The apostle here is dealing specifically with Christ as a better high priest and the priesthood of Christ being better than those of the Levitical priesthood 
and those of mortal man under the covenant of the Old Testament. And he gets through this and speaks about uh, his uh, fulfillment and being perfect. And in verse number nine, he said he was the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Of course, we understand uh, that this Melchizedek who is mentioned and told about in the Old Testament had no beginning of days nor ending of years and that is the order of the priesthood of Christ. He is a priest, always has been a priest and always will be a priest. There will never be a time uh, that the priesthood of Christ will ever end as it did in the Levitical priesthood. They uh, could not continue. The apostle here covers it uh, by reason of death and so at death uh, someone else would succeed them and take their place. But of course Christ uh, died once for the sins of man, rose again uh, the third day according to scriptures, ever liveth uh, to make intercession. That is the role or one of the roles of the priesthood office was to make intercession for the people of God. And that is what Christ is living to do. He died for our offenses, rose again for our justification, and now he lives to be the intercessor between us and God. So that we always have access unto the throne of grace. That's why the Bible said we could come boldly, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need and so here the apostle is laying down the fundamentals or the foundation of the, the priesthood of Christ and he says in verse number 11 of whom speaking about Christ and specifically his role as their high priest he said we have many things to say and hard to be uttered these were not just superficial things, but these were deep things that the apostle desired to give to the Hebrew believers. But he said, you cannot hear them, but neither can you digest them. He said you're at a point in your life as time permits that you should be able to teach these things but now he said when I look at you and view where you are he said you have need that I teach you again the first principles of the things of God. He said for strong meat belongeth to them who are of age who have their exercise uh, have their uh, senses exercised uh, 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 here reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both evil and good but he said milk uh, belongeth to those that are unskillful and a babe in Christ and so what the apostle was telling these Hebrew believers is that they were not mature that they had not grown. They were having a checkup, really, is what the apostle was doing under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and he was seeing that they were not measuring up. They had not grown in the space of time that had been given to them as they should have grown. And he said, now I feel like because of your unskillfulness, your immaturity, I need to start all the way over again at the beginning and teach you again. He said, therefore, seeing that meat 
belong to those who are skillful, who have their senses exercised, and can discern, have spiritual discernment. And I want to take time out right there and say we're living in a day where not many people who are saved have spiritual discernment. And I'll go on and say spiritual discernment is not reserved only for the preacher, but it is available to every child of God. And so Paul said if we have grown, if we have learned, if Paul is the writer of Hebrews, he said then we would be on the meat But he said, if you have not grown, if you are still a babe in Christ and have no discernment, he he said, you still need the milk and we need to start at the beginning again for you're not able to bear or digest the meat. So he said, therefore, seeing the fact that you're not where you probably ought to be, that you have not grown as you ought to, he said, let's take this as a starting point and let's go on unto perfection. That's what I want to deal with tonight. If the Lord will help me for just a few minutes, is let us go on unto perfection. Now what does this mean? Let us go on unto perfection. Well, let us go on is a phrase and it is translated together, not in individual words, but all together. And it means to apply oneself. It means to put forth an effort. Paul said you're not going to grow magically overnight. But he said you're going to have to apply yourself and put forth some effort. And he said we are going to perfection. Now this is not sinless perfection. Sinless perfection is an impossibility in this life. It is impossible. If it was possible for any man to live sinlessly perfect, then it would have been null and void for Christ to have ever come. Because it would have been proved that if one man had the ability to live sinlessly perfect, then all men would have the ability. But the Bible said there's none righteous, no, not one. None of us can achieve sinless perfection in this life. We will achieve it in the life to come, but it will not be our works It will be by our transformation and our changing when He returns to take us out of here. When we receive our full salvation. See, people get trembly, especially in the mountains, because not a lot of doctrine is dealt with. And I'm not here tonight just to teach and bore you, but I feel very led and impressed with the Holy Ghost how to deal with this tonight, but there is such a thing as full salvation. And that is that when we got born again at the altar or at home or wherever it was, that we got saved and born again by the grace of God, that God saved the soul. And now Paul said to the church at Corinth, we await now the redemption of the body. 
And that is full salvation when this mortal shall put on immortality and this corruptible shall put on incorruption and we shall be like him. Paul said, I show you a mystery. This is hard to be understood. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And that's full salvation. So until we receive the salvation of the body, then we cannot attain or reach the point of sinless perfection. But we should strive for it. There should be a desire, I believe, in the heart of every child of God who is truly born again to be sinless. Should not be our desire to sin. We should not enjoy sin. It's a common misconception in our day, uh, uh, especially among independent Baptists. They preach almost like because we believe in and I don't even like to use the words anymore because there's so much negative light shed on it, but the word eternal is in the Bible. And it says here that we have that work in us, that eternal work. And so many people believe if you say the words eternal security, it's like we can do whatever we want to and still be saved. That's contrary to the Word of God. You're not doing anything you want to when you get born again. He'll change your desires. The, the verse, delight thyself also in the Lord, He'll give thee the desires of thy heart, does not mean He'll give you all your heart desires. But it means He literally will give you desires, right desires for your heart. And that He will put a desire in you to please God. I believe that's in every believer that's saved and born again. I think if you're truly saved, when you sin, you'll hate yourself for it. It will bother you. That's why Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am. He realized every day he failed and he was miserable within himself because of his failures and he desired to be delivered from this body of death. That's right. He had to mortify his members. Now we like to use them words, and I know it's in the Bible, and I'm not being disrespectful to the Bible and the word, but the word mortify sounds pretty good until we look up the meaning, and it literally means to murder or to kill. And so Paul is saying to murder your flesh, to kill out your flesh. And to live a life that's pleasing by the Spirit, by the leadership of the Spirit, in the fact that we are going on, we are putting forth an effort, we are not stationary. The child of God should never be stationary, but there should always be forward progress in the life of the believer. And he said we're going on unto perfection, which is not sinless perfection, but the word perfection means full growth or maturity. It literally means, if you look it up in the Greek, it means to gain more intelligence or wisdom. And so what Paul is literally, or whoever the writer of Hebrews is, is literally saying to the Hebrews, is it's time to grow up. 
And I don't say that arrogantly or mean, but I look around in our church world today and I see a bunch of people who are saved and it's just time for us to grow up. We spend 40 years on the milk and never get on the meat and we wonder why that we've not grown. We wonder why our children aren't interested. We wonder why our services often are dull. It's time to grow up. And for a child to grow, it must receive instruction. And I believe that a child learns, that's what the apostle here is dealing with, is them learning about Christ. Now I said before that many of the doctrines of our Bible that are in the Bible, I heard somebody say they didn't want to hear I didn't hear them personally, but I heard somebody else say they didn't like doctrinal preaching. Well, you might as well throw the majority of the Bible out because everything we preach centers around a scriptural doctrine. And there are doctrines in the Word of God. And I hope this is making sense. I'm trying my best to preach how God put it on my heart. But there are doctrines in the Word of God that are strictly positional. And what I mean by that is we had nothing to do with us getting there and we don't have anything to do with keeping us there. And those doctrines are salvation. We didn't do anything to earn salvation. We didn't do anything to merit salvation. And I'm not keeping myself. And I'm glad I'm not. And you better be glad you're not keeping yourself. For if you were, you'd have been out a long time ago. I would have. Maybe you're better than I am and probably are. But if I had to keep myself, I'd have been out a long time ago. But at the doctrine of salvation, if it's true, salvation is an eternal one. And I don't want you falling out with me. I'm not preaching a license to sin. But I'm preaching that we are kept by the power and the grace of God. I mean, if we go, we all love that song. Amazing grace, and it's very doctrinal. John Newton, I believe, was touched by God to write the song. And I don't know that, I don't know, I wasn't there to talk to him. I know, we know by history a little bit about his past. I don't know if John Newton knew everything he was writing about, but it was very scriptural when he said, it's grace that's brought me safe thus far, and it's grace that will lead me home. He was writing about a believer being kept by the power of God. We're not keeping ourselves. We don't have a license to sin. I thought about that song tonight that we sung. The Lord was just working. I've had a million thoughts run through my mind and heart today and I'm trying my best to get them out to you as the Lord brings them back to my heart again. But we were singing that song about He abides and that song said something in one of them verses about being happy as a bird and just as free. And the writer was not saying we were free to do whatever we want to. And he quickly clarified that in the next phrase of the verse. He said, for the Spirit has control. And it's Jesus that satisfies my soul since the Comforter abides with me. He's writing about being kept by the power of God. Salvation is a positional doctrine. What I mean by that is it's not practical in that we are not working to earn our salvation or to keep our salvation. 
And then there's the doctrine of justification. And that doctrine is also positional for the fact that we are justified by faith in Christ. We don't justify ourselves. We cannot justify ourselves. No man is justified of his own power. But no man is justified by the works of the law. Matter of fact, this writer of Hebrews said that even Abraham was justified by faith. That's right. And so it's a positional doctrine. Then there's the doctrine of, and I said this is going to be really broad in general, and I feel like I'm running over these real fast because I want to get to the last two and spend just a few minutes on them and then we'll go. But there's also the doctrine of glorification, and it's positional in the fact that we'll not do anything to attain our glorification, but because we are saved and justified and kept by the power of God one day as He was glorified and is glorified, you and I will be glorified in Him. So that's the doctrine of glorification. But then there are doctrines in this Bible that are both positional and practical. And I want to say, and people, and there are a lot of preachers probably that would crucify me for saying this, but I've tried my best to study and pray and I've come to the conclusion by the help of the Lord that the doctrines that are practical are also progressive means you don't get it all overnight. And those two doctrines are sanctification and separation. And they are both positional and practical and progressive in the fact that you don't get suddenly complete. Now I understand that when we get saved, we are sanctified unto God. He he owns us. We belong to Him. That's taught in the Bible. That we do not belong to ourselves. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we glorify God in our soul and our body, which both belong to God. We are a peculiar people. The word peculiar does not mean strange, as the context has been made to mean it. That's not what the verse or the word means, but it means a peculiar, a specific possession. When the word peculiar is used, it means we belong. And we are His peculiar possession, so we belong to Him is what the word means. He paid the price for us. It literally means He owns us. And He does. We don't like that language. We live in 2022 in the most self-indulgent, self-promoting society that I've ever seen. And nobody likes to think that someone owns them or is the Lord over them, but He is. If you're saved, you don't belong to yourself, you belong to Him. And so He sets the standards. He makes the rules. We don't have any say-so about the standards or any say-so about the rules except to abide by them. And so these practical, and I believe according to the Word of God, progressive doctrines. The word sanctification, it's found... It's mentioned many times in the Word of God. And the majority of the times that it's mentioned, it is mentioned as a positional truth. That it is Christ and His payment that sanctified us. But it is also mentioned as a practical doctrine in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 where Peter commands the saved to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. This is something that we do. It is practical. 
And the word sanctify means to dedicate. It literally means, and here we are back on this word that we've been studying in Sunday school and that we'll spend a lot of time this morning, but the word sanctify means to purify by renewing. And so it is a, if that is the case, and if we go back to what we studied in Sunday school in the book of Romans chapter 12, that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which is a daily ongoing work, then this sanctification, this purification, this dedication to God by us being renewed is a progressive daily ongoing work. I believe that's what the writer wrote about when he said the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I believe in my own opinion that that is context speaking of the progressive work of sanctification of us being sanctified and set apart unto God. And it's a progressive work that requires effort on our part. I'm afraid that in a lot of our mountain churches, and I'm not throwing any stones and I'm not criticizing, but I'm afraid that Christianity has been preached as we get saved and then we just sit back and bide our time. And at times the Lord blesses and at times we struggle a little bit and then one day we cross the finish line even though we're not doing anything and we stumble over it and get to glory. And that's the way Christianity is preached, but that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is there's some effort that has to be put forth into it. Why would Paul write that we're to run our race? It requires some effort or something to be put into it. He said here, let's go on unto perfection. Let's put forth some effort that we might grow in Christ. And so there is sanctification. Then I want to say, I want to deal the majority of time with this and then I'll be done. That there is the doctrine of separation which I believe is positional when we get saved. We are separated from the world by our birth and put in the family of God. We're brought out of darkness and translated into light. I understand all that, but separation is also practical. And it is progressive that we separate. And I'll say, and I've preached it before here, and I'll preach it again because it's not preached on very much, that separation is twofold. Separation is from the world, but it is also unto God. We got a lot of people wanting to preach the from the world, but very few are preaching unto God. And so separation is the word separation, and it's found in Second Corinthians chapter six and verse seventeen. And it's that verse that we all know so well that says, uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And then the other verse is to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And so our separation is from the world and unto God. The word separate, be a separate people, means literally to set boundaries. To make limits. And I want to say, if you're saved, there are boundaries 
on your character, on your conduct, on your actions. There has to be. We can't do what the world does and get by. Oh, sure, we fail and we come short. We make mistakes. But if you can do all that and get by, if you can do all of that and enjoy it, then that's a telltale sign that something is wrong. Separation is progressive. It's from the world and unto God. That's why James wrote like this, Draw nigh to God. In James 4.8, and He will draw nigh to you. That is separation. It's not just separation from the world. That's step number one. Then we've got to go unto God. Step number two. And if we only do from the world, that's wonderful. There ought to be separation from the world, from the world. Uh, but everything we separate from the world, everything we pull out from the world, everything we cut off our life from the world, we ought to add something of God in its place. I believe that's where many Christians trip up. I think that's where many Christians lose joy. I think that's where many Christians lose their satisfaction, lose their contentment, lose their happiness. And you can say what you want to. I understand that happiness can be temporal. But there is something about being happy about being a child of God. And if all we focus on is separation from and never focus on separation unto, it almost becomes legalism and Christianity becomes a huge list of do's and don'ts and there's never any pleasure or joy or happiness in it. But all of that comes from the unto God part. When we understand, I want you to hear me if you don't hear anything else I say tonight. The pleasure, the joy, the satisfaction of separation comes when we understand and realize that as we separate from the world, that every step we take away from the world, it should take us a step in the direction of God. And that by our separating from the world, we are in turn purposing that to separate unto God and we are drawing nigh to Him. And the closer we get to Him and the further we get from the world and the more separated we become, the more joy and peace and satisfaction there will be in the believer's life. Now I know a lot of people and I'm not calling anybody's names and I'm not judging them. I know a lot of people who can adhere to all the from the world stuff, but yet few of them have the unto God part. They spend all their life checking off a list of stuff to not do in the world. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are things we ought not to do. There are ways we ought not to walk. There are ways we ought not to talk. There are ways we ought not to dress. Places we ought not to go. Things we ought not to do because we are a child of God. But we better be stepping in the direction of God and not just chalking it up like Brother Tim was talking about in Sunday school this morning. We got to live somewhere, whether it's physical or mental, that we're checking off all these things we don't do and never filling it with God. It's a progressive work. There are things we got to learn. The word, what I mean by progressive, is it don't happen overnight. You won't go home tonight with separation and sanctification, lay down in your bed tonight and say, Lord, help me be sanctified and separated and wake up in the morning completely sanctified and separated. It doesn't work that way. It's a progressive, ongoing work that requires effort in the life of the child of God. 
Matter of fact, when we think about separating from and separating unto God, that's true separation, biblical separation. But do you know that Jude in his epistle, even though it's very short, in verse number 19, he talks about evil separation. That there are some who had separated unto the world and unto the things of the world. And so we can't preach biblical separation without preaching it being twofold from the world and unto God. So what I'm trying to say tonight, if I am making any sense, is that it's God's will... For us to learn and grow. Now I want to say I'm an educator. And I have other educators here tonight. One of my staff members is here tonight. We spend a lot of time with kids. And I've learned some things about children. Not just from the four I have. But from the ones that I come in contact with every day. And I believe that. And me and Brother Tim were actually talking about this. Some before service. And he didn't know what I was going to preach on tonight. It just come up in the conversation. But. I believe that in the Word of God, if we look in the Word of God, we are likened unto children. And so there are a lot of physical truths about children that apply spiritually to the children of God. And I believe, and in my experience and by reading the Word of God, I think a child learns and grows threefold. They learn by instruction, they learn by example. And they learn by correction. And I believe all three of those physical aspects carry over into spiritual truth. That we learn spiritually by instruction. Peter said it like this, and I got to study on it. The Lord got to speak into my heart. He said that we're to grow in grace and the knowledge. Knowledge is gained by instruction. That is what the apostle here was doing to the Hebrew believers. He was instructing them. That's what we do when we read the Word of God. When we meditate, as was mentioned this morning in the Sunday school hour, we meditate on the Scriptures. And that's not some far out doctrine or some word that other religions have coined. That's a word that's in the Bible. The psalmist said, In thy law do I meditate day and night. It's to dwell upon. It's to rehearse in our ears, in our mind. To let it be, we could go back to the Old Testament and take the application from Deuteronomy of it. They were to learn to love the Lord thy God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, to, to train their children to talk about it when they laid down, or to talk about it when they rose up, talk about it when they sat in their house, or to let it be frontlets before thine eyes, right on the tablets of their heart. All those are types and pictures of meditation. That the Word of God's always present. Not that we have a copy of it always, but that we have literally ingested the Word of God and then it comes up again and it plays on the wall of our mind and in our heart and we dwell upon it. That's what instruction is. We go to school tomorrow, our children, our students are going to sit down with textbooks and they're going to learn by instruction. Some of it they're going to digest and some of it they're not. 
And the parts they don't digest, then it gets rehearsed by the instructor. And that's the way the Word of God works. It was mentioned this morning in Sunday school. But dwell on the parts you do understand and leave the rest up to the instructor. That's right. We don't stop everything because, but the instructor can work one on one. That's the way our instructor is, the Holy Ghost. He'll work on us. And so children learn and grow by instruction. But they also learn and grow by experience. There are some things you just can't be told. You have to experience it for yourself. And I believe, and this is the way the Lord put it in my heart, and I believe this is right. I got to studying about that verse. Peter wrote it in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, but grow in grace and the knowledge. I believe the knowledge part was the instruction. I believe grace is experience. An example. Matter of fact, it was in the book of Titus that we're told the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching, which is an ongoing work, teaching us that denying ungodliness, that is by experience and example, and worldly lust, we should live. That is practical application. That is example and experience that we're to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I believe it is the grace of God that teaches us by example and experience. We have experienced the grace of God and we grow thereby. But we also, and this is an unpopular part of Christianity in most circles, we also grow by correction. A child learns what is right and wrong the majority of the time by correction. What that means is this, they're going to mess up. We don't want them to mess up. It's not our will for them to mess up or our desire for them to mess up, but the reality is they are going to mess up. And then we as parents must correct them so that they learn the right way to go. Well, here's the way the Bible speaks about it. In this same book of Hebrews and chapter number 12, he speaks about the fact that we are dealt with as sons and that we had fathers who corrected us for their own pleasure, is what the writer said, but he said, but he, talking about our heavenly father, corrects us for our profit. Why? That we might be partakers of his holiness. So he is teaching us by correction. And I'm going to tell you, and this is not my opinion or what I think, this is the Bible, on the authority of the word of God, Hebrews 12 and verse 8, If ye be without chastisement, whereof all, and the all there is all the children of God. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. You cannot be a child of God and never endure chastisement. If you have supposedly been saved for ten years and have never experienced the chastening hand of God, there's a high, high likelihood, according to the Word of God, you've never been saved. That's just Bible, plain and simple. 
but he corrects us. Matter of fact, verse number 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And now listen to this, And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So that don't leave anybody out. Anybody that's ever saved, the Lord is going to chastise you. Because you're going to mess up. And it's hard to think, you know. We don't like, we shouldn't anyway. We don't like to chastise our children. We don't like to correct them. But it is a necessary part of their learning. And I'm going to say this and run a rabbit right here. And I've got plenty of people in here that will back me up. The biggest reason that our nation is in the shape it's in tonight is we have raised a generation of children who have never been chastised. They've never been corrected. They heard no and didn't like it and then mom and daddy backed up on it. And they've learned they can get their way with everything. And I'm going to tell you now, and I'm not the authority, I'll be 33 years old Thursday if I live till then, and many of you are older than I am and have more experience in this than I do, but the Lord's putting it on my heart. If you don't chastise and correct your children now, it'll be too late to do it when they're a teenager. And if you don't bring them into submission under your authority, it'll be very hard for them to ever come to the place where they put themselves under the submission of the authority of God or any other authority for that matter. It is right. It's hard for us to think about. We don't like to think about it. About our kids being human about our kids being faulty about our kids being sinful but it is the very nature that's born in them we're not a sinner because we sin we don't we're not you know some perfect being then one day we make a mistake and become a sinner but we're born a sinner and because we are a sinner we do sin that's the reality I thought about it and I I don't want to point anybody out or I don't think I'll embarrass anybody but Stand up here tonight, we're singing, and I was looking back at Huntley, and she is awake, and looking. she's making eye contact with me, and I, that's the first time that I can remember being in the pulpit and her making eye contact with me, and it's very hard for me to think, I mean, I'm just her uncle, I'm not her parents, but I never thought being an uncle could be this good, and I love her, it's amazing to me how I can love that girl like she's one of mine, and I'm going to tell you what. And some of you might drop your head and, and think, how, that all the kids in this church, it's very easy. Miss, I mean, i got one of my teachers here tonight, and it's amazing to me. It's just the love of God, how that I can love the kids at our school like they're mine. And I want the best for them. And the, but the reality about the best, it's hard for me to look back there and see her and think that there's going to come a day that if her mom and daddy are going to do it the Bible way, that they're going to have to chastise her. And if they don't do it, they're doing her a disservice. Everybody wants to say, the Bible said, if you spare the rod, you spoil your child. That's nowhere in this book. The verse says, if you spare the rod, you hate your child. That's what the Bible said. And we don't like to think about that. But the Lord knows. He designed all this. He knows what He's doing. He understands that the child learns by correction. 
And so He dealeth with us according to Scriptures as a father dealeth with His children. And so when we mess up, and it's guaranteed that we will because we live in the flesh, then He teaches us by correcting us. And that's why the apostle wrote to the Hebrews to not be weary with the chastening of the Lord, but to endure it and to be happy about it because it just meant he was treating us like a father would treat his child. And so it's the will of God. I don't know if any of it's made sense to you. It's the will of God for us to grow. And in order to grow, we're going to have to put forth an effort. And in order to put forth, and in putting forth the effort, we're going to have to learn some things. And it's going to come by instruction. It's going to come by experience. And it's going to come by correction. But it's a shame for a child of God to be in the same place they were with the Lord ten years from now as they were ten years ago. To never grow, to never mature. It was said in the Sunday school hour this morning, if you take your child to the doctor and they haven't grown any in six months or a year, you know what you do? You say, doctor, find out what's wrong. Because there's something wrong. And I want to say especially in the early years. And I, I want to say when a child of God first gets born again, there ought to be a desire in them to want to grow. There always ought to be a desire. But that newfound desire, I think it parallels physical to spiritual. It's in the early years that you can make or break a child. And I think our churches have done a great disservice to young Christians We've not taught them the Word of God and about growing in grace and knowledge. And if we, if Dale and Kelsey took Huntley to the doctor a year from now and she was the same size in 2023 as she was right now in 2022, they'd pitch a fit and say, alright doctor, however many tests you've got to run, however much it costs, wherever she's got to go, we've got to find out what's wrong. Why is it any different when we have Young people, whatever age, but in young in the faith who get born again and five years from now they're at the same place they were two days after they got saved and we don't think anything's wrong with that. Lord, help us to grow, to learn, to mature, to go on unto perfection. Father, I thank You, Lord, tonight for this time together. I know, Lord, it's not been much on my part, just a few scattered words, but I've tried my best to follow your direction and you